Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in again to our video. Just wanted to let you know that the uh, church staff and the leadership here at the church have been having some discussions about how we can build a community feel, just build a, a better sense of community even though we are far apart from each other and we can't get together and gather as we normally would. We've been having some discussions and we've got some ideas in the works to uh, build that sense of community within Crestwick. And so keep an eye out for th over the next uh, week or so. We'll have an announcement somehow, some way, whether it's a video or an email, about uh, a couple of the ideas that we've got in the works. And keep an eye out for those things. And uh, we're excited to see how we can uh, build our community together again. As we continue with our worship, it's been uh, a, a different way that we've been worshiping over the past number of weeks and months. Um, we seriously hope as leadership here at the church that these times spent in these videos, um, as weird and awkward as they may have been at the start, we genuinely hope and pray that you are able to worship God, that you are able to appreciate and understand more about His scriptures and His word, and that you begin to see more clearly who He is and what He's done for us. And so we pray that this morning or this afternoon, whatever time you're watching this, that you would be able to worship God, that you'd be able to grow in your faith, and that through the songs, prayers, and studying of His Word, that you would be drawn close to Him.
morning, Cresswick. I'd like to share one verse for you, with you, from Ephesians chapter 1, this great passage. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, that you have reminded us that um, whatever happens to us, uh, you are always there, that you are blessing us even in the difficult circumstances of life. Thank you, Father, that you give to us uh, the spiritual blessings that we need. Thank you, Lord, that you remind us all the time that we can call upon you. Thank you, Father, for the salvation we have in you because of Christ. 
We ask your blessing upon this and this time in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Uh, this morning, I want to start, we're going to be continuing on through the book of Hebrews, looking at Hebrews 13, 1 through 6. But this morning, I want us to start by reading a passage in 1 John, First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Uh, these words will be familiar to many of you. And when we get to the end of that passage in 1 John 4, I'm just going to transition directly into Hebrews 13, 1 through 6. So, uh, hopefully you'll be able to see why. Uh, 1 John 4 uh, really sets up thematically what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning in Hebrews 13, 1. So, starting in 1 John 4, 7 through 21, this is the Word of God. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. 
I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Well, this text uh, in Hebrews 1 begins with the exhortation to keep on or uh, to continue on loving one another. That's our job. Uh, keep on loving one another. In fact, this is probably tied uh, to the previous verse in Hebrews 12, uh, ver verses 28 through 29, the two verses. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So we worship God, and as we're running this race that the author of Hebrews has been talking about, we worship God and we continue to love one another. And that exposition of love that you get in 1 John chapter 4 really helps you understand a little bit about what you ought to be doing and what that looks like. God is love. You know, we, we love God because he has first loved us. We are to love other people because God loves them. God's spirit dwells in us. God's son has provided an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so when we see the tremendous love of God in his intrinsic nature and also in his redemptive benevolence, then we are drawn into his uh, essence in a sense, and we imitate him, we're to act as Jesus acted, we are to love as God loves. And so we are to be conformed more to the image of Christ through our expressions of love to one another. Continue to love each other or keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not stop. Do not, do not pull back from love. And, and yes, uh, you know, whenever you open your heart, whenever you express love, whenever you give and receive love, there is risk for heartache. Uh, there is risk for disappointment. Uh, there's a transparency and a vulnerability. And yet, we are called to love. God is a God of love. Now, amazingly, even though there is risk, uh, we also are told by John that perfect love drives out fear. Uh, that's something you can count on. You know, you can shake hands on it. Perfect love drives out fear. And so we want to be growing in love so that we are bold in mediating the love of God to the world. You know, he, he sends his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He saves us and redeems us and purifies us, then fills us by his Holy Spirit so that we also can be agents of love in this world. Now, you've likely noticed, if you've been uh, tracking with me over the last number of weeks as we've been studying Hebrews, uh, you have likely noticed that you are not actually in my presence while I am talking. And a couple weeks ago, I noticed that I'm actually not speaking to a room that has anyone in it. And so one of the questions, one of the challenges is, how do we continue to love one another during a pandemic? I mean, how do you love people when there is isolation? How do you how do you even express love when you have to choose the people who will constitute your social bubble and all of these sorts of things? Well, 
the reality is we are embodied beings. Uh, we are not ethereal spirits. Uh, we occupy physical space. We, you know, we have a spatial extension and take up volume. And so, you know, there are dimensions to us. Uh, there's a corporeality to us. And so, you know, we, we can't just pretend that physicality doesn't matter. In fact, we ought not to, quite the reverse. Um, there is more than matter, but matter is also part of the creation of God. It, it counts. It, it, you know, matter matters, as is often uh, sort of quipped. And so, as believers, we want to ensure that we recognize the importance of embodied presence and love expressed to one another. Now, one of the things that I have heard uh, frequently during these last number of months, and increasingly these last number of weeks, is how much people miss their church community, how much people miss fellowship. And if you didn't, that would be a problem. Uh, we miss the things we value. And so I think that, you know, the, the, the very fact that there is frustration and that there is a desire and a longing to see each other is indicative of the fact that we actually value each other and matter to each other. We, we want to have fellowship again. Uh, you know, we want to be able to gather together as the family of God in corporate worship. And that, that ought to be our heart's desire. We, we ought to desire to worship God and to recognize that there are special expressions of worship that take place in the community of believers. And so that's something a lot of us have been missing uh, tremendously. We've been missing that church fellowship. And we ought to. Uh, it, it, we, we ought to long to see each other and to express love to each other. Now, you'll recall that just two weeks ago, uh, the Ontario government said, you know, very surprisingly, caught everyone off guard, that churches could start meeting with, as long as they did not exceed 30% of the capacity of, you know, their buildings. And so, or of their spaces, rather. So, you know, we measured the auditorium and very quickly discovered that it's 30% capacity if you continue to maintain two meters distance. And two meters is a lot when you actually get out the measuring tape. Uh, you know, try it at home, get out a measuring tape, and, and you might be surprised at how far two meters uh, is in terms of span. Now, we uh, decided that we wanted to, to reopen for services. I mean, what church wouldn't want that? So we immediately began measuring and reading guidelines that were coming up from the government, and the government was releasing different documents at different stages. And so we began to gather page after page, documents that were pages and pages and pages long, with meticulous outlines, some of which were contradictory, about what a church had to do to safely reopen. We waded through it. It was far more complex and complicated than any of us could have imagined. And the one saving grace to it was that there was language which would say that certain things were recommended or certain things were advised. And so we took that as there are regulations and then there are public health recommendations. Now, the fellowship works with, uh, uh, consults a 
uh, uh, you know, d different sets of lawyers for various issues. And uh, the expert in charitable law uh, answered some typically asked questions by churches uh, to the fellowship. And he pointed out something very important. He pointed out that all of those public health recommendations are actually not recommendations. They're regulations that must be followed. And you might say, as, as everyone did, wait a minute, what do you mean? And the reason is, right now, Ontario is in a state of emergency. And in the Emergencies Act, it says that in a state of emergency, everyone is required to follow all of the recommendations, advice, and guidelines of the public health officials. So even though the public health officials say this is a recommendation or this is advice, when you're in a state of emergency, all of those pieces of advice actually have the force of law. You have to follow them according to the Emergencies Act. This was an enormous blow to all of us. Uh, the board, the staff, the reopening task force had spent days going over the guidelines, working through our building, discussing what we could and could not do, best practices, gathering information. It was literally days and evenings and weekends of work that went into this. We saw certain churches open. Most of them didn't do it uh, properly. Now we know of many churches that had opened that are closing again because the services simply weren't working. Uh, a lot of the churches like ours here in Guelph are not going to be opening until we can figure out uh, some of these regulations in, with a little bit more detail and care. Now, the elders and deacons met uh, on Wednesday and had a very long meeting about several things, one of which was how can we safely conduct services during the state of emergency? And the answer was that basically the regulations are so detailed that our service would be so restricted that uh, it's really something we can't do until the state of emergency is lifted. Here are some of the examples. One of the biggest things for us, again, is we want fellowship and community. But the regulations now, when everyone is pressed into force of law, would be that we cannot allow socializing in the parking lot. We cannot allow socializing in the building. And so you have to come in without congregating to socialize. And you can't congregate to socialize in the building either. Because the government, uh, the public health officials recommend the suspension of indoor singing, we can't sing. No one can sing indoors, so we can't have a song leader either, it seems. Some of the requirements are that staff and volunteers wear masks at all times in a place of worship. Uh, I, I know one large church, which is now no longer going to be opening because their pastor needs to wear a mask when he preaches. Uh, that, that's something I know physically that I myself am not able to do. We have to, by force of law, tell seniors that we do not think they ought to attend our church service, and we need to do our best to discourage them in that attendance. 
we can't run any children's ministry whatsoever. We have to, uh, we have to say that children need to stay with their parents at all times. No one can get up and just wander around. There's also a rule that, uh, which is, again, it's only a recommendation, except that we're in a state of emergency, which says this. Even when people are two meters physically distanced, we need to encourage them not to face each other. In other words, if people are two meters apart and talking to each other, we need to discourage that behavior. And so we look at this, and, and there are pages and pages and pages of others. So, I mean, those are just a couple of the highlights. We look at this and we say, gathering together with, the, with this level of restriction is not conducive to fellowship. So how do you love one another during this time? Well, uh, I'll, I'll get to that in just one moment. Just want to add this. On Wednesday at the meeting, the, the joint board, so elders and deacons together, passed a resolution that says uh, that we will not be having worship services as long as the state of emergency persists. I think they were right to do so. As hard and as painful and as difficult as it is to not be gathering for worship services, at this point, it just does not seem like it's something that we can be reasonably expected to do. However, the state of emergency has just been extended to July 15th. We want to gather information that will help us be ready to run services when we're able to do so. So there's an online survey that uh, the staff uh, in consultation with the deacons and the task force have created. Uh, staff has sent out information about that earlier this week. There's going to be a link, you know, uh, on this Sunday page. Please click on it. Go to the go to the survey. Fill it out. It will only take a minute or two, and it is essential that we have that information uh, in order to plan for future services. Because we have to understand too, even when the state of emergency ends, there are still going to be extreme public health restrictions on what we're able to do as a church. So please fill out that survey. That's probably the best thing you can do. That actually is the best thing you can do to help us prepare for the future. Now, what about loving each other? One of the things you can do, I want to be very careful. I almost made a recommendation. I'm not recommending this. But we are allowed to meet in certain social bubbles. We are allowed to gather. Now, sometimes there are social distancing protocol. Other times uh, those are, are, are uh, relaxed. So we're allowed to do that in our private lives. We are still, of course, uh, putting together these Sunday morning services. And if you are missing fellowship on a Sunday morning, you can, using your own best judgment, uh, use the parameters of your social bubble if you want to worship with other people. There are opportunities to see each other. Uh, one of the things, frankly, that this whole experience should have done for all of us is it should have made us far more sensitive than we've ever been before to uh, shut-ins and people who cannot normally get out. I mean, you, you think so many people, I keep hearing about saying, oh, I miss church so much. I say, yeah, you know, for the first time in my life, you know, as a, as a young middle-aged pastor, 
I'm beginning to clue into the fact that, you know, not being able to get out to church actually is a real loss for a lot of people. And now the younger people have experienced that now. But the church has always had shut-ins. Now we know a little bit more about what that feels like. And so, so one of the things I've heard from people who can't come out to church anymore is how much they miss the fellowship, how much they miss the community. And so one of the things that we ought to do is, is when things go back to normal, we ought to make sure we do a much better job of, of, of reaching out to those who can't come in. When, though, when there are people who can't gather, the church needs to expand its community horizon from outside of these walls and to take care of other people. There are ways of connecting. You know, you, you still can write letters, you know. I, I know that's shocking. You know, in a world of um, uh, Twitters and tweets and, and emails, I mean, if you use email, you're, you're a bit of a dinosaur, um, and all that, other, all that other stuff, like uh, chat snap and you know all those cool things that that people are using these days uh you can write letters you can pick up a phone you can find a way to talk to someone so love each other send someone an encouraging note pass some notes back and forth you know uh, let someone know you care serve each other in practical ways affirm support for each other now is a time when, because of the stress in the world, criticism is more discouraging than it's ever been before. And so let's, let's recognize that people are doing their best. People are trying, and it's hard everywhere for everyone. And don't quit. Don't stop. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up on relationships. Keep on loving one another. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So this is sort of an extension of love. Brothers and sisters, keep on loving one another. Be hospitable. Now, hospitality in many ways is a lost art today. It used to, used to be considered you know, one of the highest art forms uh, because th there's an aesthetic beauty to hospitality, but also obviously it meets shockingly practical needs. And so we are to take care of one another, even strangers, even those that, that we, you know, who, who may be visitors. We want to take care of people. We want to ensure that people are being blessed as the love of God flows in and through us out to other people. Uh, no one is excluded. You know, you're to love your neighbor. You're to love your enemy. And he, he has this remark, in so doing, you know, people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And this is probably a reference, um, not so much to the fact that there are angels in disguise bombing around all over the place, you know, kind of like secret agents uh, wearing, you know, a, a fedora and a fake mustache and sunglasses, you know, trying to get your attention, see if you'll be hospitable, you know, and, and give them, a, you know, a chocolate bar or something. Uh, it, it's that Abraham did this, you remember. In Genesis, the angels come to him, and he prepares a lavish feast for them. And so Abraham was entertaining angels, and he was not aware of it. He, they were just strangers to him. So the idea here is be like Abraham, the man of faith. In acting this way, you never know 
what kind of literally heavenly guests you, know, you may be blessing. And are the children of God any less important than angels? I mean, it, it would be a shockingly horrible distortion of this text to say, well, we ought to provide hospitality for that individual over there. Maybe they're an angel. You know, as if the fact that they're, you know, the image bearer of God isn't reason enough. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So this is extending love to those who are in difficult places. In the ancient world, maybe somewhat like today, depending on the government and depending on why someone's in jail, here the, the assumption is that it's religious persecution, of course, to identify yourself with that person also puts you at risk. And so, you know, if someone's arrested as a political dissident and you go visit them, then there's a good chance you're going to be interrogated to see if you're a political dissident too. If someone is being persecuted because of their religion and you go wit and you go visit them, and the reason is because you belong to the same church, well, you're in trouble too. But here the author says, no, you know, when you, you keep on loving brothers and sisters, well, what about that person in jail? You keep loving them. You're there for them. In other words, we actually risk consequences to ourselves in order to be conduits of divine love. Then he deals in verses, in verse four, with, uh, sorry, verse four and five, with two perpetual issues in humanity. Uh, the first is sex, and the second is money. Uh, one does not need to look too far in contemporary Western culture without noticing that sort of the, the collocation of sex and money that you get in Hebrews 13, 4, and 5 is exactly what drives our society as well. Uh, and, and interestingly enough, in Western society, uh, there is relative, there, there's a relative, it's relatively obvious rather, that um, sex and money go together in all kinds of ways, not least of which is advertising, which uses sexuality and sexual exploitation in order to get people to spend their money and to produce profits for corporations. Uh, so, you know, we know the, the, the advertising sl slogan, of course, is that sex sells and sex appeal is used to sell products in order for people to make money. Now, sex and money are not, are not brought together quite that closely here in this passage, but there's a reminder, uh, sexuality is a gift from God. You know, sexual intercourse is a creation of God. And it's good, as in, as all things that God has made are, it is good. Uh, Song of Songs celebrates proper human sexual expression in its beauty and in its pleasure. There is a place for the proper expression of sexuality. There's nothing to be ashamed of uh, with that proper expression and desire. But that context is marriage, and, and that context is the context which God has ordained for sexual intercourse to be permissible. Now, God will judge those who are sexually immoral, the text says. And you know, there are obviously a variety of ways to be sexually immoral. Uh, you can sort of work through them categorically. You can do that as easily as I can. But again, this is a reminder, listen, you know, 
in a world that is oversaturated with sexual exploitation and lust, God holds people to account for their sin. Now, people can be greedy in sex. That's sort of what lust is. People can use other people. Uh, people can abuse other people. Can people, people can be exploitive and, and entirely selfish in the sexual domain. The same is true with money. And so we can be absolutely greedy and covetous. We can, uh, we can you know, abuse people to gain money. We can steal or cheat. But even if you say, no, I've, I've only ever operated my business in a proper way, you can still sin if you inordinately love money. The text says, keep your lives free from a love of money and be content with what you have. This needs to be said today. If you are right now hearing what I'm saying or, or watching on the video, you are, by definition, one of the richest people who's ever lived in the history of the world. Just think about that. In all of human history, the very fact that you are hearing my voice right now proves you are one of the richest people who has ever lived. And you are also one of the richest people on the face of the earth today. And yet who really in our Western society is content with what they have? The only redeeming factor to me in going into the mall, which I try to do as little as possible, is to look around and experience the, the feeling that there's virtually nothing in this entire place that I'm interested in. When is enough enough? When do you just have enough stuff? When is it good enough? Why, why is this perpetual push to upgrade everything? Just be content with what you have. And then, and then if you are, you, it would be amazing how much you had to give to other people. As you know, Again, another sort of slogan has been that we need to live simply so that other people can simply live. And around the world, that, that, there, there's no doubt that that's true. No, be content with what you have. Don't be ungrateful. And don't think that material things are going to make you happy. Now, grinding poverty isn't very romantic. There is stress that attends to going to the mailbox and worrying that you're going to get a bill because you're not sure if you can pay it. Um, there have been times in my life where I've experienced that stress of dreading looking in the mailbox because my income was so small and uh, just, just to make ends meet was a real juggling act sometimes. And so I remember you know, a couple times actually going uh, to get my mail and just feeling I can't face the stress of a bill right now. In God's grace, never in debt. Uh, you know, sort of said, no matter what, I'm going to live within my means, but sometimes my means were pretty small. So there, there, there's nothing glorious about being poor. There's a real stress there. But you ought not to love money. And this needs to be said too. You can be really, really rich and not inordinately love money. 
You can be really rich, but not be covetous. Uh, and you can be dirt poor and be a covetous wretch who does nothing but spend your excess dollars on lottery tickets because all you want is money and you love it. So you can't just look at someone's possessions and wealth and know if they love money or not. What you can do is maybe look at someone's wealth and possessions and, and see if someone has been successful. But being successful and loving money are not the same thing. Just like being unsuccessful doesn't mean that you don't love money. But the reason that you're supposed to keep your life free from the love of money, the reason that you're to be content with what you have is this. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In other words, what more do you want? You have God. Is God plus another couple hundred bucks really going to make you content if you're not content with God? How valuable is God? How much is he worth? What's your inheritance that he has for you? God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So, be content and say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. So be content with what you have. You have God. He's given himself to you with a promise that he will never forsake you. Just like Jesus says at the end of Matthew's gospel, these famous words, you know, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Your money and possessions will, will not go with you into eternity, but you will never, even in the transition of death, be forsaken by God if your faith is in Jesus. Jesus is with you always to the very end of the age. God will never leave you nor forsake you. So be content and, and rest in that love he has for you and let that love flow to the brothers and sisters. Do not be afraid. God is with you. Do not stop loving. Keep on loving one another. So go. Go in the presence of God. Go to love. And go in grace and peace.
wellspring of joy I see. Let me